oh god, that was a stressful date. Oh my god, it really was. Sometimes you meet people and they make you think of who you're not. <laughs> so that was the opposite of me. We make you think a lot about like what it means to be Latina, an American, all that. They ask you that a lot if you're a comedian. Like the industry people are like, who are you? What's your voice? What does it mean to be a Latina? Write about burritos. <laughs> but for me, as a Nicaraguan, I'd say um, being Latina means loving democracy. Because my mom left a dictatorship. She left uh, Daniel Ortega in the 80s in Nicaragua to come here. Right. And that guy was basically like a bad boyfriend because he left in the 90s. He's, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you could have a democracy. He left. But then he came back in the 2000s. He's like, I've changed. Look, I'll respect you. No, I learned. I learned. I'll do better. Come on. Take me back. Come on, mi amor. Hermosa. Belleza. Diosa. That's how Latin men talk. That's how they seduce you. They say things like, you're a goddess. You ever meet a white guy who called you a goddess? No. Daniel Ortega to Nicaragua. Come on, let me back into your life. I don't know you like me. I did some good things. Illiteracy dropped. Don't attack me. And Nicaragua was like, okay, come on back. We'll let you in. You can be president. Come on. He was like, suck. And then he's put in all his judges. And then now he's been president for 20 years. I know. It's crazy. And I wish more people knew that about Latinos, like why we really come here. It's so political, so political. Like the other day, this white girl said to me, she goes, oh my God, it's so sad that Fidel Castro died. He gave everybody free healthcare. What a hero. I said, sweetheart, you're stupid. <laughs> Because Cubans were so oppressed under Fidel Castro that they would leave their island paradise and float through shark-infested waters to move to Florida. <laughs> Which is the worst state. <laughs> it's the only state you could take your child to the happiest place on Earth, and they still get eaten by an alligator. <laughs> like, that's not a state, that's Jurassic Park. <laughs> with bath salts. <laughs> okay. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance and all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Cubule, everybody. This is Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers have their say. I am your guest host, Rodrigo Bravo Jr., filling in for Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, and author of the book, The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital. And even though Tony may not be here, ya sabes que le damos esquina al Libro Traficante, and we continue talking about cultivating community cultural capital. We, of course, want to thank all of our listeners. Now, you might be listening first via our live stream where we broadcast to various social media platforms like YouTube or Facebook. This video will also appear on fox26houston.com. We appreciate our allies there who promote our work. And then, of course, we have the audio version, what happens on our first platform, 90.1 KPFT-FM. And, of course, I have to pause here and remind our listeners that we hope that you can budget a donation to KPFT in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have their say, so that we can do our part to keep this great experiment in freedom of speech going. We want to make sure that we can always put together shows like this, our terms on our terms. Of course, we are high-stake Aztecs, 
or in my case, Wi-Fi Chichimecas. So there's also a version that will appear on your favorite podcast streaming platform like Spotify, Apple, or Google. You can also find all of our past episodes there as well. Today, we have a fantastic show lined up for you. Really excited to bring on Kat Alvarado. She is a Nicaraguan American comedian who turned her journey as a Latina misfit into award-winning one-woman show in a comedy special, Off-White, that is available right now on your favorite streaming platform. I heard it. It's hilarious. Kat, thank you so much for being here with us. First of all, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic today. Thank you so much. Your new album just came out. I'm sure everybody's just telling you, hey, I listened to it. It must be exciting to have your debut album out there on the platforms. Oh, absolutely. I got a message just yesterday morning from a mom with an autistic child who was like, my son is a huge fan of yours. Can you please send me an autograph photo? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time someone has asked me to send them that. That is so sweet. So it is, it's really nice to hear that feedback. That is fantastic. That's fantastic. Let me go ahead and continue with your bio just so that people know that that you you have done some great things out there. Kat has performed at the Laughing Skull Lounge Festival and the Big Pine Comedy Festival. She also premiered her hour at the 2022 Hollywood Fringe Festival to rave reviews, winning a Producers Encore Award. She's also a featured comedian at the 2022 Great American Comedy Festival. She also made her TV stand-up debut on PBS's First Nations Comedy Experience in 2018. She's also the creator and host of the Villains of History podcast, a co-host of the unofficial Official Story podcast, and a frequent guest co-host on YouTube's Real Rejects. Her debut comedy album, Off-White, was released on May 26th on Blonde Medicine and everywhere the comedy albums are streamed or sold. You should check it out. And she's also going to have a tour coming up pretty soon. In fact, she'll be here touring in Texas this summer. So super excited. One more time. Saludos y bienvenidos a Cat Alvarado. (laughs) That's my version of the air horn. I apologize. (laughs) So Cat, very exciting that you have your debut album out there. Tell us a little bit about coming up with a debut album. I know that this must be, it's an exciting process, but it also has to be some of the most nerve wracking moments in your life to come up with the concepts, the bits and all that stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, my debut comedy album is kind of a culmination of all of the jokes I've written over the last 10 years that I've been doing stand-up comedy. And I always knew the general shape of the album in terms of the through line that it would involve me finding myself and and my journey through my 20s. Um, but I didn't know the theme of it because that's really high level. That's a very like general kind of term like, oh, it's about my 20s. But really, what's the what is the crux? What's the meat and potatoes? What is the message of the album? And, you know, I had so many jokes, you know, over an hour of jokes I had written over the last 10 years and um, coming up with the album in the last year or so. It was a matter of finding how they fit together and what resonated in my heart as the real, you know, center. What was the heart of the album? And then making sure that my jokes um, showed that, that it executed on that center of the album, you know. And that meant sometimes like removing ones that I thought like, oh, I love this one, but it doesn't go. I love this one. It doesn't go. But these go go in there. I don't love them as much. But when I put them in the in the context of the bigger album, it makes it so much better. Um, I remember even just towards the end in the last weeks before I recorded, like just taking out a whole chunk of like 10 minutes and then rewriting it uh, in, in under two weeks because it, it needed to match what the rest of it was. Mm-hmm. And in my heart, I was like, oh, it's currently in that space. It isn't matching. Um, so it was, it was like down to the wire. I mean, the day, the night before, still going out, doing sets, polishing, 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 polishing those jokes. It was a lot. <laughs> I was I was so wiped out after I recorded it that I just like didn't do stand up for a month. I'm like, I, I just want to eat pancakes every day. That makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes. I think people have a big misconception that it was just easy, that you would just get up there and tell a few jokes and ha, 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 ha. 
it is not that way at all. And I'm glad you're describing that process because the, the misconception that you just get up there, it, it really kind of takes away from the hard work, the diligence that you say, and also kind of putting everything together, you know, having these uh, this story, kind of this arc in your album. And I noticed that as well, that these jokes, it wasn't just random jokes here and there. There's kind of a trajectory here where you were talking about growing up and, and going through 20s and the different kind of scenarios that you had. Tell us a little bit more about what what came about to make the album, first of all, because you've been doing stand up for a while. You've gotten great acclaim. You've gone to these festivals. What really led you to say, you know what? I can do this. I can I can do a comedy album because I know that there's a lot of Latinas out there that want to get into comedy, but maybe don't know how, you know, and they don't see a lot of people like yourself, like themselves. And they say, well, how can I do it? Oh, well, that's a great question. So let's say you're a, a person who's never done comedy before and you want to start. Um, the first thing you want to do is get yourself to an open mic. Honestly, just get to that open mic and do it. Try it. See how it goes. And you work on writing that first five minutes of material. And once you have a good, good five minutes, you can start getting on a few more shows if people like you. And then you build it from there. But um, it, it was a long journey before actually doing a whole comedy album because I had to, you know, take my licks, take my hits, do a lot of shows that were like crappy, crummy shows. Some shows are really great shows and um, really build and build and build that skill. And, you know, I've had an hour of material for a while. You know, it's been, you know, probably three, four years that I've been able to do, you know, that full length hour but to have it be ready for an album is a whole other level. It's, it takes not just being able to write a joke or writing 60 minutes worth of jokes, but the ability to say, okay, I want a message and I'm going to make sure I'm writing towards that message or that idea that I want to convey and leave behind. Because I think there's, there's another level of writing that's different from when you're just doing a bunch of live shows. You know, a bunch of live shows... People see it and it's done in the moment. They had a great time and they go home. They go, gosh, gee, that was fun. Uh, an album you leave behind that people can always go back to. And it's on your name. So it, it's, uh, it, it takes a little bit more intention when you, when you go about doing uh, an album. And about you know, how I came about actually getting a, a record label. Um, that's networking, baby. It's being, it's being good, being having the talent. And knowing the right person who knows the right person <laughs> and then having the record label say yes, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the crux of it. <laughs> You've had an hour of material for a long time, but it's mm -hmm. not just getting over there and getting it done. It takes it takes time and perseverance. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've had I've had several friends who I know here in L.A. who, um, you know, they get a half hour together or an hour together and then they decide they're going to shoot a special and they'll spend like you know, two thousand dollars. You know, more than that. Most spend four, five thousand. All the money it needs to rent the like proper equipment to make a high quality special. But they're like three years into comedy, and and they go, they do that. And I've tried to be like, hey, hun, hun, calm down. Like, maybe, maybe you're not ready yet. And you know, people and their egos, and they'll still do it. And then they do it, they put it out there, and it doesn't go anywhere. You don't want to spend all that effort and resource on doing something when you're not ready yet. But a lot of times people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. They want it now, now, now. Um, and there's a lot of people putting um, specials onto YouTube and they're hoping that it'll go viral. But it's like if you haven't put in the years and you don't have the ability, there's no shortcuts. I love that you mentioned that because it does take some time. It does take effort. And it's not something you just jump into. And, and uh, it's really important that people understand that, especially because the amount of work that it takes to create the album. So let's talk a little bit about the album itself and some of the uh, tracks that you have on there. And I really I, I really want to delve into the topic of identity, yeah. okay? Because you, you really did talk about that. And I think one of the things that I can appreciate of the album was you put it front and center. You let people know like, hey, you know, we're going to talk about this. We're going to take some jokes about it, but there's also some realness behind that. I felt, for example, when I was listening to you talk about being Nicaraguan, it's, it's a whole other country. It's not Mexico combined. You know, I, I, let's talk about a little bit about that because, you know, there is kind of a homogenization that occurs sometimes where maybe people think everybody is, that is brown is Mexican. Tell us a little bit more about that particular joke, but also kind of the realness behind that joke, because I think people need to know about that. 
yeah, sure, that joke. Oh my god, I love that one because I, I do have family in Texas, but it's on my white side, right? And, and they're like, oh yeah, who, who cares? You know, it's all it's all just Mexico. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we have different music, different stories. And I love uh, the one I highlight in my album is about La Mojuana. It's that's a, a an urban legend. And of course, you guys know about La Llorona, right? She's a, a ghost lady. She drowned her kids. Now she's coming to get yours. Spooky, spooky. And we have ours. Her name's La Mojuana, and she was an indigenous princess who fell in love with a Spaniard. Um, and then he stole all her gold and he locked her in a cave like that. He, he she was like the daughter of the chief of, of the indigenous tribe. He locked her in the cave after getting her pregnant in, in the real one. <laughs> she was pregnant. He locks her in the cave, takes all the gold, stabs her, she dies. And now she haunts the roads of Nicaragua, making men crash their cars if they cheat on their wives. <laughs> and all the men in my family have seen her. Uh, and that's the joke. <laughs> that's the joke. And um, now I don't know if she actually haunts men who cheat on their wives, but definitely men, um, men who have wronged a woman for sure, because she's, you know, and that includes, right, cheaters. <laughs> but that's who she shows up to a lot. And for sure, my grandfather was one of those and my uncle and my cousin. <laughs> Some people think all, all the countries in Latin America are the, just the same. They're just like, it's just all Mexico. You know, you got Mexico, Mexico, and then you got further south Mexico, and then you go all the way down, and then that's Argentina, which is all the way south Nazi Mexico. <laughs> but they, they're not. They've got different cultures, different food, different music, different stories. Love a good ghost story. Like, Mexico has La Llorona, which you might have heard of. She's a lady. She drowned her kids. Now she's a ghost coming to get yours. Okay. We have La Moquana. She was an indigenous princess who fell in love with a Spaniard. He was like, where do you keep your gold? She's like, it's over here. And then he stabbed her. She died. He took all of her gold. And now she hunts the roads of Nicaragua, making men crash their cars if they cheat on their wives. <laughs> and all the men in my family have seen her. <laughs> Oh my God, my grandfather was such a womanizer. When he died, we saw rabbits doing it in the front yard. I was like, it's him. <laughs> you guys take a picture, Harry and Carney. <laughs> That's messed up. Grandma's right there. I, I, lo I love that. I love that portion of the skit. But you also go into kind of the identity and the interactions between Latinos themselves, oh. you know, and, and, and your friends, how they also say like, hey, I go ziplining where, you know, where you're from. And you're like, no, that's somewhere else. Yeah, oh my God. Whenever I talk to white people at Nicaragua, the first thing all they want to bring up is like surfing and ziplining. <laughs> like that's, oh yeah, that's where I took my jungle vacation. <laughs> like, okay. Oh, that's the cheaper version of Costa Rica, right? That's just the group on, well, Nicaragua is just the Kirkland signature Costa Rica. Basically. <laughs> like, thanks. Um, okay. <laughs> How do I take that, right? <laughs> I know, right? Like, and then, you know, what, what I experienced growing up, especially, you know, as a kid in, in Los Angeles, where a lot of the Latino population is also Mexican, just like Texas, um, was kind of like, uh, you're not really Latina, also because I'm light. Um, so they're like, oh, you're just a white girl. I bet you listen to country music. Uh, um, like, they just wanted nothing to do with me, except for the nerds. You know, shout out to nerds. Because, <laughs> because like the 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 anime Latinos, they were my buddies. They they're like you're a Latina, because um, I was a dorky nerd. I had a back brace and braces. They're like it, we have more solidarity being outcast nerds than we had as Latinos, <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> but definitely wasn't one of the uh, the popular kids among the Latinos. Um, but what I did notice is that as much as there was some isolation and they're kind of like, oh, you're not one of us when I was younger, uh, the older I got when I like when I went to college, I talked about going to UC Santa Barbara for graduate school. When we realized we were we Latinos were such a small minority in these groups, in these circles, like there was only one other Latino kid in my grad school program. Um, that's when the Mexican versus Nicaraguan versus Puerto Rican, all that, that went out of the way. It was like, oh, it's us. And suddenly the things we had in common mattered more than the things that were different about us. Um, and mm. I, I shout out to my buddy, Bert, <laughs> Alberto Ramon. He, he now lives in DC, but he is from um, uh, Laredo, Texas. Um, shout out to him. He was my buddy in grad school. We were the only two Latinos in the program. And, um, and we were like, hi. So we made it. 
Um, and that and that bond made us friends. Like of all the people who um, who I went to school with back then, he's the one I've kept in touch with. I, I barely keep in touch with anybody else. But it was that that bond of being Latino that um, that made us friends. Um, and and really, I've, I've seen that more and more the older I get, and in the community of, of comedy as well. It is less of a us versus them, you know, Mexicans versus everyone else thing. Um, there is way more community. It's it's us Latinos bringing each other up, right? Showing the world that Latino comedy is comedy for everybody. You know, we have the same family values as everybody else, and we can laugh at that. I have a mom. You have a mom. Like we all got moms. Let's let's laugh at that. You know, let's let's laugh at our family trauma and pain and that stuff that we all share, whether you're black or white or Mexican, Nicaraguan or Asian. Um, we all have that. We are, we're people. Um, and, and it's been really fun, especially in the Los Angeles community. And the comedy world hasn't always been like that. I think I've seen a big shift um, in, in the culture, especially among Latino comedians. Um, I, I don't know if you saw the George Lopez thing, George Lopez, Ralph Barbosa thing a couple months ago where George Lopez dissed another comic, a young comic who's coming up. And what I what I've heard is that back in the day, uh, George Lopez wouldn't let people, would, wouldn't let other Latinos be on a lineup with him. And as a result, like it kept the rest of the Latino community uh, from coming up because he could have brought people along, right? And mm. when you look at other groups, you look at uh, um, black comics, you look at white comics, they're bringing their own people along all the time. You see black comics on tour with each other, white comics on tour with each other, um, but George didn't do it. Right. And he even blocked certain other comics, you know, like, oh, if, if you can't uh, if you book me, then you can't book this other Latino comic at your casino or whatever. So he kept people from having opportunities. And it's so wonderful to see the change in the culture where now um, I am getting opportunities because my Latino comedy friends got opportunities. And they said to their producers who they knew or to their agents who they knew, hey, you know who else you should check out? This really great Latino comic, Cat Alvarado you should you should hear her stuff and i am so grateful for that community that i finally got to have as an adult but it kind of took everybody shifting perspective from fighting each other to realizing it's it's kind of us against the world and we are who we like we need to be there for each other as latinos not against each other in fighting What a, what a beautiful way to end that, because you're absolutely right. We, we should be sticking to each other instead of finding differences and kind of creating these divisions. And I'm really happy that you brought that up, actually, regarding George Lopez and Ralph Barbosa, because that was kind of a, another question that I had for you, especially as a Latina. I mean, you're you're not just a, uh, a Latino comic or a Latinx comic or whatnot. You're a Latina comic. And I'm, I'm imagining that must have been even harder for you to really kind of get out there and set yourself apart from everybody and really maybe even having people take you seriously. Was that ever an issue? Oh, you know, go. It still is an issue. It absolutely mm. is an issue. Um, and, you know, while there are some Latino, you know, male comics who are friends near and dear to my heart, I still see, and you'll see it and I won't say the names because I don't want to start beef with anybody. I don't like beef. <laughs> I am strictly vegetarian in that respect. I like to keep it positive. But there are some groups of male Latino comics, and you can keep your eyes out where you'll see time and time again, this lineup is all men. Why is this tour all men? This is all men. And there's a show in LA that they've been, been doing, and every lineup seems to be like all men. They've had Ida Rodriguez on like once, and I think they had Angela Johnson once, but then you'll see like a, a Latino open micer, and I'm like, okay, look at the standard you guys have. Uh, I have to have an HBO special if I'm a Latino woman, but if I'm a guy, I could just walk in if I'm a bar. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -mm. Mm. But when I bring it up, they, they deny, deny, deny. They're like, Oh, that's not it. Like you just need to come hang out. You just need to uh, come say hello to us. And it's like, that's not how you treat professional comedians and professional comedians. Like you book people like, you know, 
Like, I don't think Ada Rodriguez is going to go have a drink on a Thursday to schmooze to get her gig. Did you call Ada? Yeah, you called Ada. You talked to her manager. You booked her. Book me. I'm a professional, too. Mm. Um, there's, there's, there's guys who are just not taking us seriously. So there's definitely, definitely a boys club within the, uh, the Latino comedy world. So I'm kind of almost going at it alone, like kind of just trying, 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 trying so hard. And I have to like really be that positive and that friendly, like the positivity. Oh my God, that's such a big thing. Cause you cannot afford to have any enemies in this business. We see that quite often in a lot of the industries and in books and writings and poetry and all this, where, where there are spaces that are created for Latinos, Latinx, but somehow, some way, Latinas kind of get left behind sometimes, you know? And so Tony is definitely a, a champion for making sure that we have an inclusive show and making sure that we get everybody, you know, from all, all types of, of folks to be on the show. And so we were really happy to get in touch with your people and bring you on because it is a big deal. It is a really important thing to make sure that we support our Latino, Latina, Latinx folks that are out there making it, you know, doing big things because a, a debut comedy album is a big thing, Kat. And really, again, congratulations on that. And I just want to remind folks, we're talking to Kat Alvarado, whose debut comedy album, Off White, was released on May 26th on Blonde Medicine. Please stream it, go on Spotify, Apple, uh, iHeart, whatever your streaming platform of choice is, get out there and listen to it. It's a great album right there. You're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, also want to mention, we were talking about identity right now, but you you also mentioned a little bit about, you know, growing up, uh, I kind of got this religious tone out of it, you know, where certain parts is like you moved because of that. And I know because as a, I guess my mom would say a lapsed Catholic, I guess that's where I am. <laughs> You know, the, the, you know I, I get that, right? I, I, too, was married very young. I was married. I married very young, and I get divorced very young. And, and you know, it's just kind of this trajectory that often we get caught up in because, well, for, you know, just you're trying to do the right thing or, you know, you, you, you grow up a certain way thinking that, hey, this is what's supposed to happen and so forth. Tell us a little bit more about that because you did touch on it in several of your jokes. Uh, pretty funny stuff that you had on there. But tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, and that's something I definitely plan to write about more. I think I want to expand on on that aspect of my journey a lot more in my next album or who knows special. But um, yeah, so I did get married at 19, largely because of, I would say, purity culture, just the idea. And it's really big in Texas. Um, <laughs> so I'm told and in the South, you know, that general idea that you have to save yourself for marriage and that sex is a, a dirty, gross thing. And, you know, shame on you if you do it. And, and so, of course, I, I, as a natural, you know, teenager, I wanted to be physically intimate with somebody, but um, religion said I would go to hell if I did that. And so the natural response to that as a human was to find the first person willing to marry me also. And I did. I found someone at church and we did that. But that's not exactly how you should be making a decision for who to spend the rest of your life with. <laughs> I think that's a... <laughs> Like, you don't go decide, like, you're not like, oh, I, I really need to buy a house. Let me close my eyes and just pick the first one that I land on. That's not how you buy a house. <laughs> so why would you choose the person you're going to spend basically 24-7 of the rest of your life like that? Um, so that's pretty much what happened to me. I, I made a choice, and and honestly, and I, I hope he's out there uh, living an awesome, fantastic life. I'm sure he's a much better person now because we're both 30 something that's very different from being 19 years old. Um, but Lord knows at 19, no one's ready to get married. Uh, like at 19, we can hardly be good roommates. Like everybody's got horrifying roommate stories. And that's essentially what I got, except for with the marital paperwork and a divorce on my record. It was just a really bad roommate. 
I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I have two boys that are 22 and 18, and they, you, you mentioned earlier about cosplay anime. They are big nerds, so they love going to the conventions. I tell them all the time, just do that right now. Just focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't focus on anything else, like you know, like love or something. I don't I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's so much better to to kind of build your life and be able to have something you bring to the table for someone else. Um, rather than, you know, come to the table with nothing. Because you never know. Some people, it takes them a lot longer to get their life together. And, hey, there's no shame in that. But it always sucks to be the one person who who gets further in life at a faster pace and the other person is dragging. And that can just cause a lot of resentment and, and frustration. Um, like right now I'm dating somebody where we're like really compatible. We're like right at the same point in life. We're, we're like a power couple. And that is so amazing to have. I would have loved to have had that. You know, I wish that for everybody where you're like, you're just like right there, right at the level. You're like, hey, let's build something together. When you're 19, you got nothing to build with. <laughs> I saw like you had a lot of momentum going towards, you know, 2020 and then mm -hmm. COVID happened. And I wanted to see how maybe that affected your journey and your trajectory as a comedian and maybe your professional buildup. Because I noticed when I was reading your bio and getting to know a little bit more about you, I was like, man, she just had this, this trajectory. You had this, you know, nice little buildup and then it just stopped right there. And I was thinking maybe it was because of COVID or the pandemic. I mean, yeah, I, I initially intended to record my album in 2020, at the end of mm -hmm. 2020. That was my goal. Like, I, I remember I did a re I did an interview, I think, Voyage LA um, in 2019, and it, it was in early 2019. And I said in the interview, I want to record my album at the end of 2020. Mm. And of course, it, it happened. And, and I had all these milestones, too. I was like, oh, by the time I turn 30, I want to have a late night thing, and I want to do this and that. And I really did have a, quite a bit of momentum. Like I know I was um, taking meetings with like studios and stuff. It was wild to, to have all that and, and to have it that early on um, in my comedy career. And then yeah, COVID hit, there were no more shows. Um, there were very few college gigs around to do. Uh, so I couldn't do those. And I just had to just go back to the grindstone and do Zoom. And and just just to keep just keep the skills sharp. That's all I want to just keep it sharp, keep it sharp, keep it sharp. But I'm really glad that all that happened because um, I grew so much as a comic in the last two years, three years since 2020. Um, like I in, in the Zooms, I ended up doing a, a kind of almost like a, a workshop with a few other Los Angeles comics. Every Tuesday night, we do a Zoom comedy show for people. And they were such good writers and, and I got to watch them and how they wrote and how they tweaked their jokes week after week. And when you see the same exact comics every single week tweaking their jokes, it kind of teaches you how to write your own jokes in a better way. And so I became better for that. Uh, and, and it challenged me to go out of my box and write more new jokes as well because I got tired. I mean, we were all sick of everything in COVID. It was like so many days of sameness. Um, so one of the few things I could change was to, hey, write some new stuff, take some risks. You can't just keep doing the same stuff over and over. So like I said earlier, you know, that how I had an hour of comedy in you know, 2018, 2019, that hour is very different from the hour I did for Off-White. And, and it's way better than what it would have been if I recorded it in 2020 instead of 2022. <laughs> that, that's amazing. And I, and I love the resourcefulness and the resiliency that you're displaying. It's something that us Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, we have to do, right? We don't just, we can't just sit back and chill and just say like, okay, well, we'll just wait this out. It's like, no, we got to keep moving. We got to keep working. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the whole comedy community in LA, we're, we're a bunch of hustlers. Like we, we like figured it out like a huevos, you know, like just, uh, we were doing backyard comedy shows, secret comedy shows. I had a comedy show I would do in the forest. Like it's, I, mean, I got a PA, 
that was battery powered. And I went into um, this kind of open space area of just like trees. It's, it's the forest. I went into the forest. It's a hiking trail. And I went off to the side where there's like a little picnic bench with some other comedians. And we just did jokes at the hikers just as they were walking by. And then if they laughed, they would come and sit at the picnic table and, and listen for a little bit. <laughs> because we had to. We're like, how are we going to write new stuff? How are you going to try new jokes and keep on becoming better comics if we're not doing it? But there's no clubs. There were no open clubs to do it and practice our art. So I'm you know, like, thank goodness for that. And it was, and we really came together too. It was everybody helping each other, like you know, how every, how friends helping friends. Like, hey, I'm doing a thing in my backyard. You come over. You come over. Like, there were no gatekeepers. It was just friendship. That's great to hear. Are there any hiking trails on your next tour in support of Off-White? No, not yet, but who knows? I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> that, that, that might be something you might look, look into. Uh, we're talking to Cal Alvarado, debut comedy album, Off-White, released on May 26. Please make sure you go out there and stream it on your favorite platform. Cat, uh, I want to talk about another joke that you have in there that I love, contouring. I love the fact that you went straight at somebody, you know, right there, just said like, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. I, I I really appreciate kind of the boldness and the assertiveness that you had in many of your jokes working with the crowd as well. You know, not being afraid of kind of tackling, uh, you know, you know, getting maybe even some feedback or some pushback from the audience. How, how does, you know, as a comedian and as a Latina comedian, how do you kind of work that in? Because that could be a little treacherous, I would imagine you know, kind of working the crowd that way. Well, that's the magic of crowd work. Can I tell you a secret? Yes, please. Most crowd work is fake. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's actually news to me that that joke was crowd work because I've done it the exact same way over and over hundreds of times. Really? But that <laughs> is the nature of it. And that is the art form is to be able to have an interaction and kind of predict how it's going to go and say the things and make it seem every single time like it's the first time. That's it. Uh, and I'll always remember the first time I saw that and, and that that lesson landed with me. I saw Hannibal Burris twice in a week. Once in Santa Barbara, I bought tickets. I lived up there and I saw him do his hour. Then I came down on the Tuesday down to L.A. with some friends to go see a show over in West Hollywood. And Hannibal Burris dropped in and did another 15 minutes. But he did 15 that I had seen him do two days prior, including a joke where he goes, I think the WNBA should get, you know, he says, what is it? He goes, I think teachers should make <laughs> what WNBA players make. And he had that little chuckle right in between like that setup and that punchline in that line. And when I heard it the first time, I was like, oh, he's, it sounds like he's just like riffing. This guy is riffing off the top of his head. And then when I saw him do it on a Tuesday, he had that chuckle right in the middle of the punchline as though it was an idea that was fresh in his mind. Huh. Wow. What a liar. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that made it, that gave it a sparkle of newness that we're like, oh my God, he's riffing. He's not riffing. He's not riffing. And, and neither was I in the contouring joke. I've done that hundreds of times. What a year. I got banned from church and a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> Within months. Because I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell, but I think when I die, I'm going to wake up in a dental office. <laughs> it was interesting. The, the whole transition... From, from church to being normal. Like, I had to figure out the smallest <laughs> things. I had to figure out, like, how to do makeup, basic stuff. Because at that time, you have to understand, it was the height of contouring. <laughs> and I, that, contouring is PhD level makeup. And I was at kindergarten level makeup. <laughs> Though in some parts of the country, PhD level makeup is kindergarten level makeup. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so I had to figure out contouring. Okay, some guys look lost. <laughs> okay. 
gentlemen, contouring is when a woman uses tan makeup to make it look like she's got higher cheekbones or smaller nose, Puerto Rican parents. <laughs> it's an art form. But some men don't like it. Some men are like, you are being dishonest about your face. And to those gentlemen, I say, y'all have beards. <laughs> You do. Your beard is the wonder bra of the male face. <laughs> One time I was on a date with a guy, I got up close enough, I realized he used the beard to make it look like he had a chin and a neck. <laughs> I could not unsee that, so I just faked an orgasm and left. <laughs> He's like, we just got to the restaurant. <laughs> And that's how I got banned from Panera. <laughs> and I've seen other comedians do it too. I mean, that's how I learned it, um, was seeing comics. You know, when you do a comedy club, you do four nights with the same headliner. You watch them, you go, oh, he, he sets that up. They, what you do, you set something up and the audience member usually will say the same thing every time and you have your comeback or you have the joke that you're leading into and it really feels organic. I hope I'm not... Uh, breaking down the magic too much, <laughs> but um, in recording an album, that's going to be out there forever. I would never do something if I didn't know exactly what was about to happen and what I was about to say. <laughs> wow, the, the magic is being revealed right here before y'all's uh -huh. eyes. No palabra. It's not as treacherous as it seems. <laughs> well, I again, it, it really when when you do that when you did that particular piece, I was really kind of like, wow, you know this ballsy if you will you know so i was like whoa you know what's gonna happen but no you, you know what's gonna happen so it's not ballsy at all i'm not even a <laughs> i have no balls i'm zero percent so but, but uh, and but one person that is ballsy is your mom now yeah. i i am a fan of your mom on instagram when you know she comes out it's constantly pushing you to you know get married have kids and do all this other stuff right and she actually makes a, 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 an appearance there on the album, I think at the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. she, she makes a quick appearance. Tell us a little bit more about how that kind of came about. And I know that's not like a major part of the album, but it's part of your Instagram. And of course, you know, we're going to tell folks where they can follow you on all your social media channels so they can, you know, check out your rest of the profiles and comedy and so forth. But tell us a little bit how about that came about. So this is actually fun. The, the jokes on the album where my mom is in those jokes came before the Instagram character, actually. Um, really? Yeah. Um, okay. I, the first five minutes of comedy I ever wrote was entirely my mom. It was just me gripping on my mom. And honestly, it was a lot of trauma for me as a young woman that I was working through, just pissed at my mom. You know, because she was always putting pressure on me as a Latina to have a, a more hot figure. Like, you know, oh, you should get breast implants. Mija, you need to gain more weight. Your, your chichis are gone. Your butt is gone. And then I would gain the weight. She'd be like, Mija, you look fat now. And I'm like, you told me to gain the weight. I just did what you said. You know, um, there were other aspects of things that I, I had problems with my mom. because She was always like, you know, the, the element of colorism in, in Latino culture. You know, that my mom had wanted me to have blue eyes. And when I and she had my sister, she was always like, Ojalá que tenga ojos azules como su papá. And then she had me, oh, then she had my sister, and she's like, Oh no, they came out, they came out verde. Look, oh no. They're like olive. She's like, But it's okay, por lo menos no son oscuros como los de su hermana. And, and like, I remember hearing that as like a little seven year old and being like, so upset and like, well, does that make me ugly? I guess I'm ugly. I guess I'm ugly. And then my mom just picking on me, picking on my curly hair. But I had negrita, uy, mira, uy. Um, just like hurtful shit. Just, just to know that things about me were were not um, desirable in her eyes. And so I started just picking on her back in my comedy, just roasting her for just being a bimbo with big boobs and picking on me back. And um, there is something so healing about it through humor that I got to just, you know, get at her. Um, finally, like get revenge for all of the 
like the fights and, uh, and mothers and daughters notorious like mothers and daughters clash man and that's just part of nature it's human nature uh for those who don't know me i know you can't tell by looking at me i am latina i'm latina but i'm 30 so my kids are grown thank you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> i'm i'm nicaraguan that's my genre of latina and uh, no one ever claps for that because they're all in miami <laughs> how that worked out I'm half and half uh, my dad is white I asked my dad for advice he's so different from my mom different personalities I asked him for advice he's like put your money in a 401k and I asked my mom and she's like mija get breast implants <laughs> because then you can have somebody else's 401k and um, like I had jokes about her having like big boobs and stuff like that and um, and then she saw it and she loved it. <laughs> she wasn't mad at me at all. And she was proud of me. And she's like, that's so fun. It's so funny. And then eventually she's like, why don't you write more jokes about me? And at that point I was like, well, that takes it out. I want to fight. <laughs> this isn't a fight anymore. You like it? <laughs> so I started writing jokes about other things, but she was really kind of like my first big topic was taking it out. Like just, ripping on my mom and um and so i kept some of my favorite lines from that and those went into the album and then in 2020 when i was really bored trying to figure out stuff to do i was like you know what let's play with these wigs and i started doing the characters of my mom and it came out but um after after it had i had gotten all that anger out and frustration out in my material a lot of that anger was gone it's it's funny how expression and how art does that it heals i did it I let it go and suddenly I had peace. And my mom, my mom apologized too for all those things. You know, as late she's like, you're beautiful and I love you. And, and I'm sorry that I made you feel bad about having your brown eyes. She goes, cause I have brown eyes and brown hair and curls too. Like I look a lot like her. So everything when she was ripping on, on when she was being mean about those things, she was also more expressing things she felt about herself. You know, mm. and so we we made our piece, and um, and so now when I write the jokes where I'm my mom's character, it's from a more lighthearted place. It's from a place that's healed and and just ribbing her gently, and it's not um, jokes written in anger. You know, which which it's funny. Like we we can write from those two places. I definitely prefer to write from a place that's healed. Well, I, I so appreciate you being vulnerable enough to share that because there's a lot of people that use art that way, but maybe don't, you know, tell the truth about it. And the fact that you were able to share that with us right now, it really just tells us how how sincere this art is for you. And it is, you're, you're absolutely right. Our, our parents, a lot of times pass down traumas to us because that's the way they parent, right? And uh, one thing that I always kind of espouse is, I practice grace over grievance with my dad as well, because my dad did his thing and he only knew what he knew. He, you know, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. And you, you made a brilliant observation right now saying, Hey, she was really just projecting, you know, mm -hmm. she was really kind of just, she, she wasn't really talking to you. She was talking to a mirror and yeah. kind of expressing how she felt growing up. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I have such memories of, of things that now in retrospect, it's, it's her, it's, it's all her pain. You know, one time I'm being 15 and my mom had always dyed her own hair blonde as long, as long as I can remember. And when she met my dad, she was dyeing her hair blonde. So he met her and married her and loved her as a blonde. And then when I was 15, I was like, mom, dye your hair, be like me, be brown hair. And she did it. And then I remember overhearing a conversation between my parents um, where he was like, oh, I like you better as a blonde. I just, I'm not into you as a brunette. And he wasn't mean. He wasn't trying to be mean. And I don't think that was his intent. But my little, my little 15 year old ears heard that. And like, I felt a pain from it. And I'm sure my mom felt like a, a little pain from it. We all felt that little moment, you know, and and that flashed me back too, to being four years old and to my mom, like dyeing my hair blonde at age four. Like, what does that say about her and the messages she received about what, what she should look like and what is the beauty ideal to the point where you put chemicals on a four-year-old's hair to make mm. her match that ideal, you know? 
so there's there's a lot there's a lot of trauma there <laughs> but comedy yeah. is a wonderful way to heal it and to, to bring <laughs> it out and to kind of mend those things and 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 now i understand as an adult you know so much of so much of the fighting was really just you know everybody wrestling with their own demons what, what a beautiful way to to kind of uh encapsulate that uh cat thank you so much for being with us before we start signing off and, and ending the show though Tell us a little bit about where we can reach you. I know that a lot of people we've been we've been you know pushing the album. Where can they reach you online? What's your Twitter handle, Instagram handle? Where, where would you prefer folks get to you? Oh yeah, so you can get to me on Instagram at the Cat Alvarado. That's C A T A L V A R A D O. Cat Alvarado. Or you can also get me on TikTok at Cat Alvarado Comedy. Uh, Twitter at the cat Alvarado as well. I don't know why I just did those out of order. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> so Instagram and Twitter at the cat Alvarado, uh, TikTok cat Alvarado comedy. Cat, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And we're so excited to really kind of uh, help with just letting people know about your debut comedy album, Off White. Again, folks, it's on your favorite streaming platform, whether it's Spotify, Apple, iHeart, whatever it is. It is out there. Go check it out. It's her debut comedy album, Funny Stuff. I really appreciated it. And Kat, I just got to tell you, thank you so much for your vulnerability here on the show. Uh, we, we, you know, we were we were touching on the album, but you also we also were able to delve into some, you know, a little deeper topics in there, especially mm -hmm. towards the end. And we really appreciate that because we know that as artists, we do use our artistry, our creativity sometimes to really heal. That, that's really mm -hmm. what happens a lot of times. And just you kind of talking about that, it, it really kind of drove over the point as to why, you know, creativity is so important for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here um, promoting the album. It's It was a lot of hard work and, and I'm excited to share it with the world. Fantastic. Once again, Kat Alvarado, her debut comedy album, Off-White, uh, was released on May 26th. Go check it out, y'all. My name is Rodrigo Bravo Jr., uh, co-hosting here, filling in for Tony Diaz. We really appreciate your support. Feel free to check us out on all of our platforms. With that said, hope everybody has an incredible evening. Take care. Bye, y'all. Bye. Porque nada de eso te puede elevar, porque nada de eso te puede elevar, porque nada de eso te puede elevar, porque nada de eso te puede elevar.